Hello and welcome to What Memory, the podcast for survivors of stroke and brain injury. I'm Stephen Masters and I'm here with Josh Reed. We've both had strokes. We want to share our experiences, find out how other people live with brain injury and investigate what's new in brain injury research. This is the Joanna episode. At the end of every podcast, we give out our email address and invite you to write to us. So far, one email has come flooding in. We were so thrilled we asked the writer to come on the show, and we're delighted to be joined today by fellow brain injury survivor and recovery blogger, Joanna Demodi. How did you get your brain injury in the first place? When did, when did it happen? Well, um, yeah, it happened on September the 18th, 2017. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I know exact, the exact date. Yes, everyone's... Exact date, don't know when things happen. <laughs> yeah, everything's seared into the brain. <laughs> yeah. And um, luckily for me, I was at my parents' house. I was staying there at the time. And I, I, can't, I can't really remember. I mean, this is what I've been told, that I was, had a shower, I was getting ready for bed, and I was getting sort of chest pains. But, of course, I never thought it was anything other than, you know, just a, I don't know what it was, to be honest. So I, I think that I maybe thought it was an ulcer because I was taking some medication for quite a long time and I thought that oh god it's something in my stomach and yeah. so you phoned up 111 and told told them what was happening to me and they send the ambulance straight away because obviously they kind of related it to a heart attack and yeah. they came in they did the the test ECG test and um yeah, they knew it was a heart attack. They, because I was very anxious. They, I mean, this is what I've been told. Um, I was very anxious that they, they didn't want to tell me it was a heart attack. So mm. they were just sort of like, you know, sort of being with me, sort of making me try to relax in that. And then yeah. after a while, they decided to tell me I was having a heart attack. And literally at that moment, I've been told I just dropped to the floor mm. and went into a cardiac arrest. Yeah. Wow. Somebody, yeah, somebody told me afterwards, they, they probably should have told me I was having a heart attack because the shock kind of. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you don't really know, you know, what, but I've been, I've asked, you know, why, why it happened. And that, that, I don't think they really know why people, it happens to people. So, so this was um, a, heart, a heart attack out of the blue. Yeah. At your parents' house, they told you you were having a heart attack and you promptly just yeah. dropped to the floor, as probably yeah. most people would if they'd been told they <laughs> yeah. had a heart attack. Especially, you know, like, you know, my, my age and my health, you know, at the time, you would never thought, thought it. Yeah. No, you don't look like you're in the age group for heart attack, frankly. No, no. And it, I, it was, I was 45. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and you know, like say, you know, people you think heart attack, they're sort of overweight and smokers. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, yeah. that sort of thing. And it, it, it's, you know, it's completely opposite I was. But I found out afterwards that um, the type of heart attack I had is called, it's got a long name, it's called Spontaneous Coronary, coronary Artery Dissection. Okay. So they didn't try and explain that to you at the time, did they? No. No, no. right, okay. Um, luckily, there was somebody at the hospital who had come across somebody before who had it. 
so they kind of knew what it was straight away. Um, but basically, an artery in your heart dissects and it causes you to have a heart attack. Okay. Um, it, sh- it shouldn't give you a cardiac arrest, though. That's just a, an extra thing I had. Oh, <laughs> but, just an um, extra bonus. Icing yeah, on yeah. The icing on and the cake. There's lots of research going into it, and they don't really know what happened, why it happens, because it happens to people who are sort of in their 40s, no health problems, not overweight. So it happens to people just like me. Right. So, um, yeah, so like I said, there's lots of research going into it and that, but I don't really know. But I haven't – it's funny to say, you know, I don't really have anything wrong with my heart now. My heart's fine. Right. Yeah, so there's no reason – but there's no reason to have it again, but there's no reason for me not to have it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it gives you something to look forward to then. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, just, exactly. you know. But how, how did this go from a cardiac arrest yeah. to a brain injury? Yeah. It, it, um, that's another thing I'm unsure about because I just assume that everybody, you know, they have a cardiac arrest. You know, they're, they're, you know, to put it bluntly, they're, they're sort of dead, aren't they? So <laughs> yeah. um, your brain's not, you know, and there's some lack of oxygen to your brain. Yes. Yeah. You know, your heart's not beating. Mm. So um, so I just thought, well, everybody's, everybody's got brain injury if they've got a cardiac arrest. But I found out <laughs> a couple of years later, I went to a seminar about cardiac arrest that, that is not the case. <laughs> so I think it just depends. I don't know why it happened to me. I think it's just my bad luck, really, that was, you know, I didn't just have a heart attack. I had, you know, everything on top of it. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it, but I, 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 I do look at it, you know, you know I, I might not be here, so I'm not unlucky. Exactly. You know, I I had the paramedics, you know, and had the treatment at the hospital, and you know, I'm here, and you know, I have I have you know had the brain injury now, but like I say, it could be much worse. So, exactly. Like, like I yesterday, I was talking. I saw a friend for like a couple of coffees and a catch up and some food, and I was like, I could not be here. It, it mm. blows my mind every so often that I think about it. I'm yeah. like, okay, I've had to go through so many things and so many struggles. I'm here. And yeah. the yes. only thing that would sort of tell you that I'm, I've had issues is that I can't drive. That's the only thing. And that's, if that's the only thing that I have to give up for life, it's kind of a good deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. In the hospital. You were in hospital, you had the cardiac arrest, You it affected your brain because mm. your heart wasn't pumping, but how long were you in hospital for then? Well, in total, it was six weeks um, I was in hospital, but um, I, I don't have any memory for, I think it's around about a month that I was there. Yeah. I was sort of... Um, after a couple of weeks of waking up, you know, from I was in a induced coma for a little bit, and you know, but I, so I was waking up from that, and 
but I don't I don't have sort of any memory of like the first month. But I've been told that it's because the brain was recovering and memories yeah. just weren't formed. Right. Yeah. During that time, so it took like a month for my brain to sort of start, you know, processing memories. And storing them as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, it's funny, I always I always remember, the first thing I remember is I, I, I thought I was sort of dreaming. I think, oh, I'm dreaming. And somebody's trying to, I'm trying to get out of bed and somebody's trying to pull me back in. And I've been told afterwards, that's what I, I did. I, I was constantly trying to get out of bed. So <laughs> yeah. I thought I was dreaming. <laughs> Actually, this was like real life and somebody was pulling yes, me back into yes. bed. And that was just what I used what I was doing and that but yeah it, it's strange to think that you know I was I was living my life but, but I just don't remember it that's a very it's, odd, odd experience that it's a weird feeling swearing rehab and home and I'm I don't swear I'm not, not well I swear to myself all the time but I don't <laughs> swear my 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 worry was, I said to my mum, did I swear at you? You know, and she said, oh, no, you never swore at me. But the nurses said that, you know, I did sort of swear in that. And I thought, oh, God, that's good. <laughs> yeah. um, well, <laughs> yes, I, I was dreadful at the swearing. I, that went on for weeks. Yes, we might go into that too much. That's not a nice story. <laughs> I used to swear all the time, specifically to my mum when she held me down, so with her um, legs yeah, and yeah. her hands. And I'd it'd basically be like something from uh, The Exorcist. <laughs> I, was, I was just screaming. I, and my mum was like, it doesn't matter what he's saying because he's actually saying something. So, yeah, it was mm-hmm. just a yeah, bit of yeah. a, a shock. Whereas, like, the nurses, so my mum was told that uh, we can't handle him, so we're going to sedate him. And mum's like, no, I'll be there in a minute. And then had to deal with my abuse. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my godfathers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fun times, weren't they? Yes, in the hospital. So you, you're in the hospital, six weeks, they let you out, and you go home. Were you living? Well, I went to um, I went to there's a a, a rehab place. I was I was sent there. Right. So I was. It was quite a shame because from the from where I remember, I just wanted to go home. I wanted to go home. Yeah. But they sort of sent me to this rehab place instead. Mm-hmm. So I was the same there. I was like, I want to go home. Why am I here? You know, there's something yeah. wrong with me. You know, because you don't, you know, you don't see anything wrong with you. So I think they wanted me to stay there for a couple of months, but um, I only lasted about three weeks. And then yeah. they broke my up with me. And my mum <laughs> said, oh, yeah, she can come home. We'll look after her at home. Like being a child again. So how did your parents feel about you moving back from hospital into their home again? And were they looking after you or were the carers no. coming in or...? No, no, they were looking after me. Yeah, my mum's, your mum's brilliant. You know, she was really, you know, she did everything for right. me and that. You know, she's, I kind of guess it's kind of like having a child again, isn't it, in the beginning? Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, we're quite a close family anyway, so. Um, House moving. Probably about five or six months after it happened, I sort of, you know, 
we decided that I was going to go back home to my house. My sister obviously moved out and was in a, yeah. right. was in a, a new house again. And um, so my mum said, oh, I'll come, come and live with you. So I moved back into my own house and my mum came to live with me. So, and the plan was gradually um, I would, you know, live on my own again. Yeah. You know, I would go back, you know, go back to normal, so to speak, you know, go yeah. back to work full time and, you know, yeah, yeah. it would be Everything will be fine. That's yeah, everything awesome. back on track, yeah. Yeah, sort of thing, you know, you think, you know, people say, oh, it takes a year to recover, so I think like a year, you know. A year's going to come, everything's going to go back to normal, but of course, you know, that doesn't happen. <laughs> so, um, I don't think my mum ever moved out. She sort of, um, yeah, she, yeah, I've never, I've probably had about two days on my own since it happened, really. Right. So, um, yeah, so then um, well, my parents were going to move anyway. To the, I live in the village, and then we're going to move there anyway. To um, We sort of thought, you know, um, if we both sell our houses, we could buy a big house. Yeah. Which we all could live in. So that's what we did. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's that, that's where we are now, really. Um, it's a big house. It's like three floors. So the top floor is mine. So I have like yeah. a living room and bedroom and, and that. And then I sort of you know, do my own cooking and that. So I do. Yeah. So it's sort of semi sort of like I'm looking after myself, but they're sort of here. Yeah. Me. But the upshot of all of the upshot of all of this is that you, your parents sold their house, you've sold your house, and you bought a new house together. Yeah, yeah. but that's quite a a big kind of life change for everybody, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. How do they feel about the fact that you're all living together now? Then, because that's not usually how families work, is it? No, no. I I always thought quite. I think it's quite. Quite funny that when when um you get older, you know, you kind of look after your parents. Yes. And yeah. I always think that maybe, you know, the neighbours think that, oh, she's moved in for her parents so she can look after them. But actually, it's the way around. I mean, in, and yeah, I'm not saying that, you know, they, they need help in the future, but, you know, in the future, yeah, I am there if they... Yeah. Yes. It might you might change around, you know. Exactly. The job. You go back home, you have a new house with your parents. What about your job? Tell me tell us about that. Yeah, so I was I was so fortunate to I mean I worked there for about seventeen years anyway, so can we just go so, back a bit and explain what there is and what yeah, what you were doing? So, what have you been um, doing? I work at Cranfield University, and um, I work in the library there. I'm not a librarian, but I work in the library. So um, <laughs> I just say that. Um, yeah, yeah. So I, I worked there for like 17 years, and um, yeah. So my plan, I think their plan as well, was that you know everybody thought you know go back part-time, start with, and gradually build up the hours, and then, yeah. you know, work towards working full-time again, doing the same yeah. job, you know, doing everything the same, because, you know. Why not? Yeah. I guess years. Yeah, when somebody's off sick, that's what happens, isn't it? You know, exactly. Yeah. You wake up and you, 
start doing your old job again. So, so yeah, I went back part time, and I sort of sat down at my desk, and I thought, right, okay, I'll start doing what I did before, and I, I was sort of started doing it. I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, yeah. I've been doing this for like 17 years, and I'm at my desk, and I haven't got a clue how to do it. And I'm, I'm a person who doesn't like to ask for help. Right. Yeah. I like to be the, per- I like to be the go-to person. Yes. You know, if somebody wants help, you can ask me. And yeah. I'm not, I was not used to it. Because obviously when you start someone new, you do have to ask for help. But I've been there 17 yeah. years. So it was really, really hard. It was, yes. It was, it was horrible. It, it did feel like it was a new starter. And yeah. I was asking questions to people who I trained, and that was kind of <laughs> really weird. You know, I trained them to do the job, and I was asking them to do something really simple. Yeah, I just felt really stupid. You know, you know what? You yeah. know, they must be thinking. You know, why are you asking me that question? You know the answer. You know. Yeah. I just, I just. I just felt, you know, and gradually, I think it was about three months when I was doing this gradually, increasing my hours, you know. I probably worked like three hours a day to start with and then, you know, go up to four hours because of the fatigue, you know, you get. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. And, um, so, yeah, up to about three months. And then I was, I think it kind of. It struck me in my head that actually, no, it's not going to work. It takes a year to recover, but I think it takes a year for you to realise that actually everything's different. Yes. Yeah. You've got to start your life again. Yeah. You just After a year, you sort of like, okay, I've recovered enough to know that I'm bad, that I'm yeah. not in the right headspace. It takes you a yeah. year to get to that point. Isn't that after true? Year, yeah. You're like, Oh, after a year, I will. I'll go back yeah. to my old job. I'll start doing this. I'll start doing that. Like it's, and then it's, then it's that realization that you're like, I can't. Like there is no way that I can do what I did. Yeah, and I think as well at work, you know, they assumed that I would be the same again as well. So mm. they, 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 they were very supportive. I have a great line manager, and she's just brilliant. You know, and. Yeah. I think she thought that everybody, like I say, thought that it would be normal. But, yeah, then, you know, obviously we were everybody in this situation. My mental health sort of suffered. Yes. That. So I did have to take another three months off work because of that. Right. You know? So, um, and I think that, that was good for me because it gave me time to adjust and realise that, you know, things all have to be different. Amazing blog. I'm still there anyway, and yes, work part time. And like I said, they've been really good. They kind of created a job for me, so it's you know it's not a hard job to do, but you know I can do it, and it, I'm earning money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly. good. Yeah. But there, is, there is an awful yeah. moment, isn't there? There is an awful moment when you realise the mess you're in and especially when you're doing a job and you realize you can't do it again and it's about a year in and your mental health starts to really decline i know mine did and um because the full magnitude of what's happened is starting to dawn on you in terms of how your life is going to play out yeah is that when you started writing your amazing blog yeah it was actually yeah (laughs) because um 
Yeah, so it's yeah, a terrible waiting, waiting list. Say, oh, yes, it's a long waiting list. I'm like, well, that doesn't help you now when you no. need the help, does it? So, yeah, yeah so that's yet the only way of getting this all out of my head, which I was what I was thinking. So I don't know how I came to it. I must have seen it somewhere about blog writing, and I thought, oh, this is a good way of just getting it out of my head. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what, how it started, really. <laughs> I used to write a journal. so. Um, it was kind of the same thing, but putting it in, you know, on online, on, online, yeah, yeah. So yeah, and, yeah. It did, it did keep me going, you know. Yeah. Um, without having to have the professional help at the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you, so. you write very well about how difficult everything was at the time. And it's very, yeah. very kind of quite raw about that. And I found that quite refreshing that it was kind of, you just spoke your mind. and it's, Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, obviously, the, when I first started writing it, nobody knew about it. And then I sort of told a few friends and they sort of started reading it. And I think probably I did sort of peg it back a bit after that, you know, because mm. people you know reading it, you think, no, you can't really write this <laughs> Because then people will know that's what you're thinking. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's 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 difficult because so I had a psycho psychologist um and it was helpful because he was a blank slate. He was someone I could say anything to and he wouldn't get offended. Whereas like I was like, I feel like this, but I feel horrible that I feel like this. Um and so I'm not going to tell my friends or my parents what they but I just need that sort of vent mm. almost. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, like I had the same same one as you and mm. as you and, um, yeah, and and then there's, like I said, when you haven't got that person anymore to talk to, you, you know, where do you go? You know, it's yeah. really hard. And, I mean, it, it did take about, I don't think how long, probably about six months, and then finally... I have got a counsellor now that I go to and she she works at uh, another branch of Headway. So she she knows about brain injury. So that makes it a lot easier yeah. because oh, she yeah. explain anything. She sort of knows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yes, yeah, it's really, really, really helpful. You know, I wouldn't really, you know, I mean, people would, I mean, before I would never go to a counsellor, but when you need one, you need one, don't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good. Well, or or you do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> or write a blog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's got like you say, you get it, you know what you're thinking, you're sort of getting it out of your head and it makes things a lot easier. You know, when I first started as well, I used to lying in bed at what night and thinking about it in my head and I thought, right, I'm gonna turn on light and you know, write my blog and then I'll go back to bed and Go to sleep because you're yeah. not thinking about it anymore. It's yeah. gone. Like it's um yeah, it, it's something seems so big in your head or can feel so big in your head, but when you put it out there mm-hmm. in the world, whatever way that is, it suddenly feels like okay, well, it's there. I can I can leave it there for a bit. Headway.
after the year, I started to go to headway. And you meet people who just understand, you know, your peer group. And they just get it. And you don't have to explain about what happened to you. Yes. You just sort of say, oh, this happened to me yesterday. Say, oh, yes, that happened to me as well. And you think, all right, okay, that's normal then. That's that's okay. (laughs) You know. Exactly. It's it's not normal for a normal person without great energy, but it's normal for the group of people you're talking to. And that, it, it, it just helps so much. Oh, definitely. The new normal. The new normal, yeah, yeah, that's that's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I hate hate the word normal because um, somebody used to say it all the time, oh, that's normal, don't worry about it. But I think, well, it's not normal, though, is it? Because, you know, for a normal person, it's not normal. It's not, it's like, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's horrible. (laughs) It's only when you've been through something like that that the... Yeah. The enormity yeah. overwhelms your whole life. We are different people, aren't we? Now we are completely different to how we used to be, and it's sort of like when you finally realise that you can kind of move on. I think, but it's very and hard to get to that thing, isn't it? Yeah, yes. and almost embrace it. Yeah, as well. yeah, like, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm a yeah. different person, but I'm cool with that. Days a bonus, Joanna. I was talking about the fact that your you your personality, as mm. you've described it, has kind of changed. Oh yeah, completely. Yeah, it has for the better. Because I used to be quite a quiet, shy person, <laughs> and now I, I am sort of the opposite. And I do sort of think why I'm that way, and I think it's because. I realise now that, you know, you've got to do everything you want to because you never know, you know, what might happen. I think you have that sort of... people. It's hard for people to understand that haven't been through the, you know, what we've been through. Process, yeah. yeah. That, you know, that everything, you know, everything you do is, you know, a bonus. You know, it is, it is, yeah. it is you know, especially for me, you know, it's every every day is a, bo- a bonus day because... It really is. You know, if the paramedics hadn't been there when, when it happened to me, you know, you might not be here, you know. So, yeah, so you have to do everything. Don't, you know, just wish to do things. Just do it, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it has made life a lot more interesting because I've met, I've met people I would never met before, and I've, I've done things I never would have done before, and things I would I, I wanted to do all my life. You know, like I, I always wanted to. Um, my wish was to play play the piano. I want to play the piano, and um, I was, you know, I, you know, like you know, I talked to a friend, and she said, "Oh, just buy a keyboard." Yeah, you know, because I always thought you had to have a space for a piano. 
get the bike, yeah. My keyboard, so I bought a keyboard and I'm um, teaching myself the keyboard. Fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, I think that if this hadn't happened to me, that I would never have done that. Yeah. So, a lot of things are, you know, I'm doing a lot more things now, you know. Yeah. Like, because that's the difference. Like, it's almost like once you face death, <laughs> it's, everything else seems a bit less. Well, it seems, yeah. everything else seems a bit mediocre. You're like, oh, why didn't I just do that? Oh, I'll just yeah. do it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Worst things happened, you know, nothing, nothing worse could happen. Yeah, what, what, could, what could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you could die, but, the, you know, I've tried that and it didn't work. So, yeah. Yeah. You're sort of a bit, um, I can't think of the right word now. But you, you can just want to do everything. You don't think of the consequence of it, do you? So, yeah. Sort of oh, is, is that is that just consequence yeah. control, though, isn't it? Maybe. Yeah. That's why you have to have family around you to tell you, no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> As you would to a very small child. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's very frustrating. But then you think about it, think, yeah, actually, probably isn't right. <laughs> So are you still going to go ahead with this fundraising skydive idea? Probably not, because I didn't think, because it's, it's like before, you know, I, I don't remember having a heart attack. So I do, I do, I do understand that. It was not until I told my mum, I said, oh yeah, I'm going to do It's like, no, you're not doing that. That was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I can do it if I want, no. me. How old I am, you know, you can't tell me. And then I thought about it, I thought, mm, actually, it might not be <laughs> the quite the right thing to do. So even though I really want to do it, I don't think I will. Ah, oh, fair enough. But would you have ever thought about doing it at all? No, 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 no. So you've no. moved, you've moved along on the risk quotient, haven't you? From <laughs> never going to touch it to maybe I'll give it a try. To people yeah. drawing you back from it, saying yeah. probably not a good idea that you do the fly yeah, diving. Probably, yes, probably not the right <laughs> thing to do. Yeah, but yeah, it's just sort of, yeah, it would be nice to sort of raise some money, you know. But yeah, I have to think enough ways to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, probably something that doesn't involve two thousand feet of fresh air. I would imagine. Yeah, I would have. Loved, I, yeah, I would have. I would have loved to do it. It, it would yeah. have been amazing. I think I would have. Really liked it, you know. Just to, you know, obviously you're doing tandem, so you got yeah, yeah, sort of attached onto you. But um, yeah, <laughs> I've got to admit, it doesn't appeal to me. I know it appeals to you, Josh, because you'll yes, be up for yes. anything. You would. I used to. Well, before lockdown, I was uh, definitely uh, me and a few of my step, one of my stepsisters and one of my stepbrothers were like thinking about doing it but yes obviously with lockdown everything sort of closed um so yes but i will at some point do it even though okay, again yeah. my mom's not this. <laughs> in which case yeah. you, you're gonna have to have your body cam on so we can watch you do it <laughs> yeah. oh yeah definitely yeah. your mom says no then you can't do it <laughs> oh, no, see. <laughs> i i i disagree <laughs> <laughs> The defibrillator. You mentioned that you met up with the woman who gave you CPR. Mm. Was that in the yeah. ambulance in um, when you were being taken to hospital? Presumably, they no. were doing lots of stuff to you. 
Yeah, I think that happened at the house. Um, All right. know, obviously, when I went into cardiac arrest, mm. they had to do CPR. So they were doing the CPR in the house, and then they have the defibrillator. Yeah. Defibrillator, so yeah, yeah. Um, that, to restart your heart. So they had that as well. So they were doing CPR and then doing the defibrillation. And I've been told they had to do it defibrillation eight times. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I think it's. I think it's about like so sixteen minutes. You know, downtime. They would say mm. basically. Um. But yeah, and then they um do the um. I don't know if you know my heart stopped eight times or well they just had to you know to get the rhythm going right you know right and um. Yeah, and then they, you know, transferred to hospital and that. But yeah, obviously, I must have stopped. My heart must have stopped. Started beating on its own at some point. So, so <laughs> yeah. downtime is a euphemism for dead, basically. I've <laughs> 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 got to remember that in future. A bit of downtime. Yes, no, 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 no. Yeah, I, I am as well. Something that I've done. I don't know. I've mentioned it before that I at work. I um contacted the health and safety guy at work and we over the last not last year but last couple years two years before there's a day called restart a heart day and um on that day for the last not last year but the two years previously they have done cpr training at work and i think in total at work there's been about 150 people have learned cpr wow So, um, yeah, so that is, you know, I sort of go to some of the sessions and I sort of say thank you to the people who go there, you know, thank you for doing the CPR and that. So I think that's sort of a positive thing that's kind of come out of it, that, you know, know, if one person, you know, has to use it, it, you know, that's one life saved, That's one, absolutely, one life saved is... Yeah, so I, I, I I do feel quite proud of doing that. Glasgow Coma Score. When when I was in, when I was first in the hospital, they 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 put me into reduced coma. Yeah. Pretty much straight away. I think that's just so it helps your body kind of recover from yeah. you know, everything and that. So, and then I sort of heard about this Glasgow Coma Score, which is a. Uh, I think what I do. I think when you. When you think about coma, you're always thinking about, you know, when you see on the TV, you know, they say, oh, they're taking them off out of coma and the person wakes up and they're talking. Yeah, yeah. Sitting up and the next day they're going out back home. But in real life, you don't sort of wake up. You gradually, you know, wake up from the coma. So what they've got, I think, is this Glasgow Coma Score where they monitor you over, you know, days. To see how you're waking up, and then they score you in relation to this sort of scale. Yeah, okay. And I think maybe they do it in the you know first instant when you're first they first take you out of the coma, and they sort of ask you. It's like you have they they look at your eyes. You know, if you open your eyes, different ways. You know, yeah. if they. I think they sort of poke you and do stuff like that. And if you open your eyes, you know, then they, they score you in 
Seven out of ten, you open your eyes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's like, um, I've got it down here actually. I think there's like four different things, you know, if you open them spontaneously, if, yeah, if they clap the hands and you open your eyes up, if you, they poke you and you open your eyes up, or if you don't open your eyes up at all, you know, you get score for that as well. And then they do response, you know, if they, um, if you talk, how you talk, you know, if, yes. if you talk yes. and how you talk. And then um, if you ask them to do something, they score. If you do something, they, they score, you, score you on that. So okay. it's, there's different scores. I think the lowest you can get is free um, and the highest is 15. So, yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously everybody's, everybody's different. I don't know. I don't really know. It'd be nice to know what a score means, but um, oh yeah, it does. I think I think three to eight is like quite severely brain injured, right? And then eight to I think twelve is moderate, yeah. And then eight to no twelve to fifteen is mild. Okay. Were you aware that they were scoring you on this Glasgow? Oh, no, no, of course not. No, it was just just happening in the background. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I haven't got got the report of when they did it, so I don't know what I was doing at the time. But my score, I found, I saw on my hospital records, as it says at the bottom, GCS, the abbreviation is 10. So I don't know what they did to get to, I did to get to 10, but... um, You got that. Yeah. (laughs) But I would find it very frightening afterwards to found out that somebody had a little chart and was just ticking off the Glasgow coma score, saying, "Oh yeah, give him a poke. Yeah, fine. Yeah, eyes open. Good tick. You know." But if it, if it hadn't happened, they might it might have gone the other way. You ever think, you know, no, yeah. I think we know. Well, that's what happened to you, really, isn't it, Josh? Is that you must have been on a a Glasgow coma score from hell because I, I, I don't I don't remember. At all. I don't remember anything. I never remember. I well, I haven't been told that they did something like that because no. unfortunately they weren't a coma specialist place. So basically, so I had cystic fibrosis. I needed a transplant. They, I had a transplant. It went ninety nine percent well, and um, then I ended up bleeding out and having coma. So they were like a transplant specialist so it's not as if i was in a oh you're in a coma rehabilitation center like i i had lots of other things to worry about before my coma even sort of was even considered so yeah so it's i think yeah it was a very weird way for me to sort of have one um because they were very much like to begin with, I was aware that either I would do really well and be fine, or I would die. Those were the two options, mm, and so yeah. this was kind of unprecedented in the sense that they were like, we don't know what to do. So, yeah. <laughs> so your yeah, Glasgow they... score was between naught and one. It's a bit bit binary like that, wasn't it? You were either dead or alive. Yeah. In a horrible way. Yeah. Whereas if you get onto the scale, you've at least got a a sort of fighting chance the more numbers you've got. S-C-A-D. The heart attack, the SCAD heart attack, is that 
when you sort of read about it, a lot of people who have it kind of turn up at the hospital and they get sent away, you know, because, you know, obviously there are people that they're not going to have a heart attack, like me, you know. If I went to the... Because the... You get... You get you can get anxiety pains, which are quite similar to heart attack pains. So women turn up at their hospital and say they've got, you know, these chest pains and they're sent away. So um, my wow. what I really want to do is sort of to try to educate, you know, paramedics. Yes. That's what the scattered people are trying to do as well. So I have brought in a lot of information, you know, there's sort of, leaflets and sort of cars that you can have in the ambulance about SCAD. So, yeah. if, you know, that was what I was talking about at the beginning of last year, but, of course, last year it kind of went pear-shaped. So yeah. hopefully <laughs> I, I want to contact them again maybe at the end of this year and try yeah. to – I think they were going to sort of interview me for their comms team and, mm. you know, have sort of information. I don't know how it works. So – we're still at sort of the first step of it, I think. But, yeah, I'd love yeah. to just sort of be able to, you know, just to teach, you know, paramedics what, you know, SCAD is and not to just dismiss, you know, do an ECG, you know, just to check that, um, you know, it isn't a heart attack. God, yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, they, they are quite overstretched. They probably just think, oh, this is just... Somebody of with course. anxiety pains, that, you know, yes. but, you know, it could be something else. Yeah, definitely. And they are, yeah. you know, the, the, the um, numbers do show that about 18% who have a SCAD have a cardiac arrest. And, and people, they do die because yes. they, 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 they're not, you know, knowledgeable enough. Yeah. So you're on a little mission to explain yeah, how that all works. Yeah. Is cool. yeah. No, that's brilliant. As well, you, you say, you know, I feel like, you know, I have a purpose now to sort of do this with the CPR training, you know, and with the, yeah. um, the, the, the SCAD and that. It's sort of something I really want to do, you know. I feel like it's – I was saved to do that, you know. They yeah. saved me, so I have to give something back. <laughs> Our thanks to Joanna for an enlightening conversation. Her equally enlightening blog can be found at recoveringbrain.blog. That's recoveringbrain, all one word, dot blog. The Glasgow Coma Score we talked about is the number you're given after you've been assessed using the Glasgow Coma Scale. As the name suggests, you'll not be in a good place if you need this assessment. Basically, on a scale of 1 to 15, you're measured for how responsive you are while in a coma. A score of three or below indicates you're totally unresponsive. Josh harrowingly knows all about being in an unresponsive coma, but being awake in his brain at the same time. You can listen to him describing that experience in episode four, Resurrection. And you can find more about the Glasgow Coma Scale at the conveniently named website glasgowcomascale.org. Joanna is personally advocating for SCAD. S-C-A-D, and an acronym for Spontaneous Coronary Artery Dissection. This is a form of heart attack, most common in women under 50. The initial symptom of chest pains means it often goes undiagnosed or even misdiagnosed as an anxiety attack. 
Joanna is working to raise awareness of SCAD, especially with paramedics, who are often first on the scene when someone is suffering chest pains. If anything comes out of her experience of SCAD, helping to save other people is a wonderful goal. So our thanks to her for that, and for taking time to come on our podcast. If you would like to talk about your brain injury and the road recovery, email us at whatmemory2 at hotmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-M-E-M-O-R-Y, followed by the numeral 2 at hotmail.com. And check us out on Instagram at what underscore memory 2. What Memory is our personal podcast. Any views expressed are purely our own or the personal views of our guests. We are not expressing the views of any organisation or business. Many thanks to our amazing sound editor, Jamie Rutherford, professional sound producer and fellow brain injury survivor. Okay, we're done. The only thing we know for sure after brain injury is that the future is unknown and daunting. But it's only going to be brighter if we plan for it to be that way. Bye for now.